All right, I have a question. I'm kind of excited to ask this question. But you're going to have to be bold in your honesty, okay? No, no shame, okay? Just lay, raise those hands if this is true for you. Have you ever in your life eaten dog food? Raise your hands. Yes, there's a break. Yes, look at that. You guys. Wow. I didn't expect that many. <laughs> and that's the ones that were honest. <laughs> wow. So here's an easier question. How many of you have ever heard of the author and longtime pastor Chuck Swindoll? How many of you ever heard of him? Okay, even more hands. Okay, great. He tells a great story of a friend of his, a good friend of his. And the friend had an interesting evening of eating dog food. Okay? So let me tell you the story. So he's not pledging a fraternity. He's, he's not, you know, he, he's invited to a dinner party in Miami at a nice home in Miami. Okay? And he's invited along with other people and they go to this home and, and, one, and the hostess, she has just finished cooking school at the local uh, university and she wants to practice her skills and see how good she is. And so on purpose, she creates uh, this um, appetizer, <laughs> hors d'oeuvres alpo, I guess you might call it. Um, and on these crackers, she put a dollop of dog food and then added, um, let's see, she added bacon, okay? And I've heard people say everything's good with bacon, but I'm not so sure this was. Bacon, uh, an olive, and a little bit of pimento, okay? Oh, and um, imported cheese. That's right, there's some imported cheese there. And then put it on a silver tray and started walking around and offering to her guests, and they ate. <laughs> and they liked it. And Chuck Swindoll's friend really liked it. He kept going back, eating more and more. Well, to her credit, before they left, she told him what she did. And apparently everybody was a good sport about it. I don't know that I would have been. But um, that's pretty gross. That's nasty. And it's a great example of a spiritual reality that is happening in our world and in our country and our churches today. And that is something nasty is being offered, dressed up in such a way that we're eating it. Okay? And it's called false teaching. It's called half-truths. Okay? And, and much of it is done intentional, but not all of it. Okay? But what Jesus is going to drive home today is that a lot of it is intentional, malicious, and obviously not good. So he's really going to drive home a couple of things as we get close to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. This is the beginning of the end, okay? And it'll take us two weeks to end it. We'll deal with two issues today and two issues next Sunday, all right? But I want us to remind us what we talked about at the end of last week. Remember, we did ask, seek, and knock, okay? I'm in chapter 7, and we did uh, verses uh, 1 through 12, maybe, last week. Um, Ask and keep on asking, seek, keep on seeking, knock, keep on knocking, and you will, you'll receive, you will find, and the door will be opened. And the reason Jesus gave us that was so that we could do verse 12, which was do to others what you would have them do to you, the golden rule, right? And we said that sums up not only the Sermon on the Mount, but that sums up the Bible. If we treated others like we wanted to be treated, that would win the world, right? 
like if, if we, and we, we said, how do I do that? Start with what do I want, move to what they want, and I'll end up with what God wants. Start with what I want, move to what others want, do to others what you would have them do to you, and you'll end up with what God wants, okay? Now, that's why we have to ask, seek, and not, because we don't naturally do that. We're not good at that. And even though we love to say, right, this is our vision at, at Grace, we want to be the best neighbors ever where we live, work, and play, that's basically another way of saying the golden rule, isn't it, right? It's hard to do that. I mean, I had opportunities that very day, that very afternoon, and I failed gloriously. And I'm not even going to embarrass myself and tell you all the ways I did, but it's hard. So today he's going to he's going to move to um, he's going to move to these two things we're going to talk about today, and that is to find the true path and to follow the true teachings. Okay, so I talked about we'll come back to the to the dog food analogy. In a minute, let's start with another picture, uh, another metaphor that Jesus uses, and he talks about roads and gates, okay? He talks about a narrow gate that leads to a narrow road and a broad gate that leads to a broad road, okay? And uh, we've read through it, so I'll just start and just read these couple of verses, and then we'll unpack these first. So the first section here is, is Jesus saying, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Okay? So he starts with a command. Now, remember, I'm teaching you Greek grammar because, you know, I can't do the English grammar, so I'm going with something easier. Greek grammar, it's, when it's an imperative, that means do it, do it now. Enter. And maybe you're like, I mean, my first reaction was, well, what if I don't want to? <laughs> or what if I don't know you? Why would I, you know? And Jesus is just giving you a good command, and he's saying this is in your best interest. Whether you obey it or not is up to you. But enter, enter what? Enter the narrow gate. So I'm going to use this direction to refer to the narrow road and this direction to uh, refer to the broad road, okay, just for clarity's sake, okay? So he says, enter through the narrow gate. Why? For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. That doesn't sound good, does it? doesn't sound good at all. And many enter through it. Well, if it's broad and wide, that means it's easier to travel. And if you can think about it, that means I can take stuff with me. Because even if I take a lot of stuff and everybody else takes a lot of stuff, the road's wide, we can make it down the road, no problem. And everybody's going that way. Isn't that how we do America, right? What's everybody else doing? Nobody likes swimming upstream. Well, a few, but not many. It's harder to do that. So broad is the road. And Jesus is saying, that's the way most people are going to go. And he actually implies, that's the road you're already on. When we come into this world, we're already on that road. Now, this is not, this is not politically correct, what I'm about to say, which is including what I just said. And that is, the Bible teaches that we're born sinners, okay? The Bible does not teach that we're born innocent, that we're born um, without sin, and then when we sin, we become sinners. The Bible teaches we are born with a sin nature. That's why we sin. That's why you don't have to teach a two-year-old how to lie. They come out knowing. They don't, it's just natural, <laughs> okay? And then nurture has an impact later, but nature starts off with we all have a sin nature, Okay? If you are a son or a daughter of Adam then, and a son or daughter of Eve, then 
we got the seat of sin. We didn't really get any say in that. And that doesn't really seem fair. But you know what? The consequences of sin are not fair. You drive drunk and you crash into somebody and they die instead of you. Is that fair? Right? Consequences are just consequences. All right? And the first consequence of the first sin you and I are still living with. Okay? It was not a myth. Jesus referred to Adam and Eve as if they were real people in history. And so if he did it, I'm doing it. So, um, so, we, have, so we, have, uh, we are born sinners. That's why we sin. Okay? So we have a sin problem. Every single person is born with a sin problem. And the only way we can get it off is if somebody removes it for us. And whoever removes it has to have the power over sin. And the wages of sin is death. So that means they have to have the power over death. And the only person the Bible says that has that power is Jesus the Christ. And that's what he did on the cross. He defeated sin and death so that by turning to him, looking to him, we could find forgiveness of sin, cleansing from sin, deliverance from sin, freedom from sin. And this is why we sing songs of praise, right? Because we're not sinners at the core of who we are anymore. We are not enemies of God anymore. We are children of God, sons and daughters of the King, the peace of peace, because Jesus took it on himself. And so we sing freedom, even though we still sometimes sin. But that doesn't change my identity back to sinner. It means that I'm a son or daughter of God who sins. That doesn't sound good, does it? Gosh, if I'm a son of God, I shouldn't be sinning. That's the mindset that you should be having. Your identity should drive how you live. Okay, sorry, I'm already off track. Let me get back on track. All right, so he says, um, enter through the narrow gate. We talked about that. And so he's saying, he's assuming we are already on this road. We are born on this road. So there's a choice before you. And the choice is I can choose... And when I say choose, this means God empowers you to do this. This assumes that. I choose to go down the narrow way. Jesus is commanding you to do something. He wouldn't command you to do something you couldn't choose to do. That'd be cruel. Okay? He's saying, but, or the other choice is, I can stay right where I am. This is where most people stay because they're like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to decide. And so they stay put as if I've got time to make the other decision later. Well, you might, and you might not. How much time do you have? Okay? So this is why, and Jesus says this, um, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. What kind of life? Abundant life. Okay? We're all wanting that. Who, do, who in here wants to be happy, right? We all want to be happy in life. Okay? Well, the abundant life is deeper than just being happy because of your circumstances. The abundant life is having a joy and a happiness that's so rooted and deep that even if you were unjustly arrested and put in prison and the key is thrown away for years, you still can find abundant life. And I know that happens because I read books about Christians who have been arrested in places like China and imprisoned for years and they stay faithful. They call that in China seminary. The underground church says, my pastor has been to seminary when he's been arrested for his faith and has come out and not betrayed the faith in the process. That's how you get out of seminary in China, underground church. I'm not making this up. I've read this in multiple places. This is how they, they go to... It's not that they don't go do seminary classes like I did, but it says there's a, their people trust them at a different level when they've done that. I've not done that. Nothing close to that. So I guess they haven't graduated yet. But the, the narrow way is hard. 
Some of your translations even say that. It's a difficult road. Now, it's narrow for a couple of reasons. One is um, because there's not a lot of people that are going to need it. Well, everybody needs it, but there's not a lot of people that are going to use it, so Jesus knows this. One, it's to, I can't take all the stuff I have with me. There's not room. I have to leave it all here. It's implied. It's not explicitly stated. But my mindset is, I need to go and he's enough. And even if that's not what it's saying, that's a good thing to think about. If I'm clinging to anything else for my salvation, then there's no room for that. Okay? This is where we let go of our idols, our idols of power, seeking power and control, our idols of of seeking uh, reputation and people liking us and caring what other people think, and our idols of being comfortable and happy and filled and full and pleasure. Those are... Those do not satisfy for very long. Only Christ Jesus satisfies. All right. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to destruction. Only a few find it. Only a few find it. But by the grace of God, some do. Have you? Have you found it? Are you walking down it? You can tell if you're walking down it. Okay? Because it it isn't... Just because I'm a Christian doesn't mean life gets easy. In fact, Jesus tells us it gets harder. Okay? And some of you know what I'm talking about. Okay? So first thing he says is you need to be on the right road. You need to be on the true road. So you, need a, you have to decide, am I still on this road or have I made the pivot? And it's a 180-degree pivot, which is another way of saying repent. Repent from living this life so that I might change my thinking about life and head in this direction because Jesus is at the destination and I'm seeking him. Right? Our bullseye of discipleship at Grace is that you and I are growing in Christ-like character and competency. We want to be like Christ and do like Christ. And that results, those two intersect and create fruitfulness. This is imagery he's getting ready to give us as well in this verse, okay? Next verses. In John 15, it talks about, um, Jesus says, uh, God, uh, I am the vine and you are the branches, Okay? And God's the Father's the gardener. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches, and you can't do anything apart from me. If you're disconnected from me, you can't get the life-giving sap the branch needs to bear produce, which is grapes, which is the point of the grapevine. Or if it's an orange tree, it's the point of the orange trees to give you oranges, etc. So fruit is imagery or metaphorical language in the New Testament for the good things that God gives us that come in us and through us when we walk with him. Okay? So when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, it's not the fruits of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit that bears these, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And there are other fruit that come out of this as well, but those are the ones he lists in Galatians 5, 22-ish. And so if if that's the goal, if I'm... If I am walking or growing, is a better way of saying it, to be consistent, if I'm growing in Christ-like Character and competencies, those two will intersect at fruitfulness. Is your life fruitful? What kind of fruit are you bearing? You can be on this road and be fruitful, but the fruit is wickedness. And there's a whole list of those in there as well in the Galatians 5 before 5.22, those preceding verses. And then it switches and says, but the fruit of the Spirit is. And that's what your narrow road life will exhibit. Okay? Fruit is how we know... What is standing in front of us? And the fruit is what people say, 
think and do. Now, I can't see what you're thinking, but I can hear what you're saying, and I can see what you're doing. I can't judge your motives, but I can judge what I see and hear. And before you get all bent out of shape, if you missed a couple weeks ago, Jesus says there's a time and a place to judge for people to judge people. Okay, So when people yell out, don't judge lest you be judged, well, that's a good warning. And I'm not calling for judgmentalism, and we in the church are pretty judgmental, so I am very hesitant to say this. But Jesus says it loud and clear at the very beginning of chapter 7. So I'm not going to be bashful about it. We just got to make sure that we're taking the plank out of our eye so that we have eyes to see how to judge. And he is saying in the very next verses, here's, how you, here's another example of him, of a us needing to judge, and this is how we do it. So let's see what it says, starting in verse uh, 15. He starts off with another imperative. He says, watch out. In some translations, be on guard. Um, There's others, watch out for false prophets. Let's stop there. What's a prophet? So in the Old Testament, they were people who foretold and foretold, okay? And that means two things. It means in some cases you're telling the future, and in some cases, you're just telling the truth, preaching, pro- teaching, okay? Most prophetic utterances are not future-telling, but just doing what I'm doing here. Old Testament, New Testament prophets do the same thing. Different standard. Thank you, Lord. The standard in the Old Testament was if you ever misspoke as a prophet, you're done. So, you, you know, if you get a prophetic word in the Old Testament, it's pretty reliable, okay? You didn't die. In the New Testament, there's a lot more grace. Thank you, Lord. Because I don't always get it right. It doesn't always come out right. Sometimes I just don't always understand. Sometimes I'm just wrong. Okay? Even if it's by accident, if it's wrong, it's not good. And this is where you come in. You come in with a discerning spirit. Because you and I are being served on a regular basis, dog food on a cracker, dressed up on a silver tray, and it's very tantalizing to look at. He tells us some more. He says, uh, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. Now, what's he talking about? Sheep's clothing. Sheep's, okay, so this is another metaphor that Jesus liked to use a lot in scriptures. And, that, and actually the Old Testament too, where it referred to God's people as sheep and God's leaders, in particular elders, as shepherds. Okay, and there are other words that are used in the New Testament. That All these words are used interchangeably in the New Testament. Shepherd, which is really like saying pastor, not pasture, pastor, although I get it when we think that. Elder, overseer, and bishop. Now, all of these words in our culture carry different levels of baggage. And so we don't usually hear them used interchangeably because ecclesiastically our churches have their ecclesiastical systems and, and all of that. But if you just strip all that away and just look at Scripture, Scripture says those things. And if you want to see them all in one place, 1 Peter 5, first five verses, it describes what an elder, pastor, shepherd, overseer should do, and it uses those words all in one place. You can go to 1 Timothy 3 and find some of that too, but 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5 is the best place to go if you're interested in that. So what does the leaders of the church do? And when I talk about leaders, I'm talking about the point, the leaders are the point of the sphere. Your elders or overseers or pastors. And again, take away the, the, um, the, uh, the American or worldly who's paid and who's not. That's irrelevant. Who's been to seminary, who's not. Irrelevant. These are men. The Bible describes them as men. And it's not a cultural thing, I don't think. Men who shepherd the flock. So those men are called 
under-shepherds, or sometimes they're just called shepherds, pastors, elders, and their job is to shepherd the sheep. Okay? Now, who shepherds the shepherds? The, they're under-shepherds because their chief good and great shepherd, as the Bible calls him, is Jesus. Okay? That's why we, and we look at John. If you look at, I didn't give the guys in the back the scripture, sorry. John 10, 11, I am, Jesus says, these are his words, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it, and the man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Okay? So there are going to be wolves, and he's going to talk about wolves here in just a second. Ravenous, ferocious wolves. And what are they doing? They're trying to tear apart the sheep. Who are the sheep? You and me. Okay? We're sheep because we follow the good shepherd. Okay? One of my roles as the sheep is also under-shepherd of Jesus at this particular local. But the global church shepherd is the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? He, and what is a shepherd supposed to do for the sheep? I, I always come down to three things. Lead, feed, and protect. Lead the sheep, feed the sheep, protect the sheep. Okay? And how do we do that? Preach, teach the word. Live it in such a way that it's consistent with what you're teaching And hold one another accountable when you're not. Simple. Hard. Right? Because we've been in churches where this person hasn't been held accountable and isn't living in a life that is consistent. Okay? Those of you watching online, I don't know how many of you have ever been in this room. But if you've been in this room, you've been close enough to where you've had the opportunity, unless this is your first time, to speak to me, to talk to me after the service and actually get to know me and find out what a jerk I could be or not, right? Because you'd have the opportunity because you'd talk to me without a prepared statement. But if all you look at is me online, you have no opportunity to go anywhere beyond what I want you to hear when I speak. Less accountability, more risk, okay? And this is true for what podcasts you listen to, what books you listen to and read, what uh, YouTube videos you watch. You know what I'm saying. All that's out there, some of it is dog food on a cracker. And we're eating it. And Jesus says, watch out. Watch out for false prophets. And then he describes them. They come at you in sheep's clothing, which means they look like you and me. Which means, and we like to hang around people who look like us. So that means they look like people we think are our people. And then he says, but inwardly they are ferocious, vicious wolves. And how does a wolf tear into a sheep? Razor sharp teeth. They're like a small pony. They're so big. They're like vicious dogs that are the size of small horses. And they go at the neck and they rip until they kill and drain the blood and then eat that sheep. It's just violence. And Jesus is saying spiritual violence occurs when you and I listen to false teachers. Now, I'm not going to give you a list of who's a false teacher. That's not my job. It's your job to prayerfully discern as you listen and read and look at whether or not that person's one of these. Now, good news is Jesus gave us some parameters, okay? He continues, By their fruit, there we go, by their fruit you will recognize them or know them. That implies, I think, a little more than just head knowledge, maybe relational, because in the context here, you'd have to be in the room with them to hear them. Today, you don't have to be. You see the danger? 
and I'm for online ministry. We live stream, we put out, you know, recorded things. I mean, we use the Internet, but it is risky for the person who is not being discerning and judging whether or not what they're looking at is true or false. And how would you know if something was true? How would you know if it's what kind of fruit it's bearing unless you know this book? You don't. All right, I'm not chasing that rabbit. By the fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes? Here come a couple of rhetorical questions where we already know the answer. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes? No. Or figs from thistles? No. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit. That makes sense, right? But a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad, bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every, then it gives you consequences. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire because it's not good for anything. Now, again, remember the analogy and the metaphor that Jesus is using is that we, he wants us to be fruit-bearing. That means that we're truth-tellers. It means that we're living as truth-tellers. We're not just saying the truth. We're living the truth, that our words and our actions are lining up pretty close. Okay? That we're bearing good fruit and not bearing bad fruit. That we're evidencing to the world that we're on this road, not on this road. Okay? And I think sometimes we, sometimes it's us and we're looking at stuff and we're, you know, we're taking in stuff that's garbage. And sometimes someone we know and care about is, and we, we make an excuse. We take a shortcut and we go, well, say, let's say they're going to a church and the teaching is questionable. And we go, well, at least they're in church. As if at least, you know, yes, there are vicious wolves there that want to tear their spiritual growth apart. But at least they're in there with them. I'm like, that doesn't make sense when I think about it that way. You know, and, and what's the harder but better thing to do? Help them make a good judgment. Is this truth you're hearing? Okay? Because I want to tell you, the, the false prophets are on the broad road. And they have a large following. We have to be careful. And Jesus is saying, watch out for a reason. Then he ends, thus, or therefore, he repeats himself, by their fruit, you will recognize them. By the fruit of the false teachers, you and I can recognize whether they are true or false teachers. We can. But we have to know what the fruit is like. And this is the source of that knowledge. And if you're using other teachers to decide whether this teacher's you're you're already one step removed from the source material. And we all should know that the best source is the original source. Right? How many times have we quoted somebody? I did it this week, where you qu- I quoted somebody who had quoted somebody, and, and I was challenged on, well, what was the source? And I couldn't tell them. And this wasn't trivial we were talking about. So it's real tempting to just go with what we hear. Okay? All right? I mean... If it sounds intriguing or engaging or it's going with a narrative that we're comfortable with, it's real easy to just kind of go with it and say, yeah. Okay? Now, this is something I don't, I'm not prepared to talk about. I'm just putting this out there to say we need to be praying about this. There's a lot of conversation right now about, in Christian circles, about Christian nationalism. Sometimes they're calling it national conservatism. Okay? 
And some are on the side of its merits, and some are, are challenging that. As, is that really what Jesus would do? Or is that really how he would do that? And the reality is, honestly, it's not either or. It's usually a mixture of good and bad that we're trying to discern here. Okay? Part of the reason that the church has lost so much credibility in our country in the last several years is because of decisions we've made in our voting. Okay? And when you hit your when you hitch the trailer to something else and you essentially marry that, you are buying the whole kitten caboodle in some people's eyes. Right or wrong, good or bad, that's the reality of it. And as a result, the, at least the evangelical church of America and mostly the white evangelical males of this country have a tag that they are all in on Trump and all that he stands for, good and bad. Okay? And, and that's hurt us. That has really hurt the church. And, and I love America, but I love the kingdom more. And I am a citizen of the kingdom forever. I am not going to be a citizen of America forever. Okay? I want this country to pull through, and I want this country to be healthy and good. But that's not my top agenda. My top agenda is that the kingdom would infiltrate this nation because I know that if that happens, that America will... It will be good for Americans, even though it might ultimately be the demise of the country, which I don't want. I'm not calling for that. And I don't mean to be overly dramatic about all this. It's not about patriotism, ultimately. It has a place. It's not about America. God loves every nation. Every flag flies in heaven. Okay? I'm not saying that those things aren't important. I'm saying they're important. This is more important And if you really want to honor these things that we, you and I, cherish in our nation, the best way to honor them is to do it from a kingdom side of things, not from a politically driven side of things. Get involved in politics. That's great. That's kingdom in the politics. That's fine. Run for office. Do that. Man, I'd love to see some candidates I could get behind. But let's be careful and not get the cart before the horse. And some of this false prophetic teaching is preachers and teachers getting on stages and talking about the political side to an, to an extreme. And what I mean by that is by putting that above what really matters. Because you know what? Jesus didn't die for a red, white, and blue flag. He died for the people in that country. And he died for the people in a yellow and blue flag, too. And I could go through all the colors of the rainbow, and he died for the people with the rainbow flag. He died for all knowing that not all would receive him. Most are on this road. The question is, which road are you on? And whose teaching are you following? And is it false or true? And Jesus, I'm just telling you what Jesus is saying. He's saying, enter through the narrow gate and watch out for false prophets. Those are the, that's the warning signs. If I could put it in light bright. I heard light bright made the uh, Hall of Fame toys list, so I had to put that in there, right? Uh, it, put it on a light bright and, and stick it in your brain. And pray it through, okay? Look, I don't care if you agree with me or not. You don't even know what I'm thinking on half of this stuff. It sounds like what it sounds like. I can't control that. But what I can say is I care about you, and I believe that Jesus is speaking something that we need to hear. And I can't, I have, I have no, I can't control what other churches do, what other leaders do, what other people do, and I can't control what you do, and I don't want to. But I do want to influence you in the direction I believe Jesus wants us to go. And it's not the popular one. It's not the one that fits here. It's not. And it's going to make us uncomfortable when we talk about politics. 
Okay. Hopefully you know that politics is not the answer anyway. Right? What's upstream of politics? You want to change the political climate? Change what's upstream from the politics that's happening in our world. What's upstream? Individuals with a heart that can be changed when they see, it sees the truth. That's what we want. Right? That's what we want. Let's, let's, let me pray for a minute. Lord God, um, God, we love you, and we want your kingdom to come. We pray your kingdom to come, and your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are praying this because we trust that our Father in heaven is so awesome that we hallow your name We praise your name. We sing praises and glory to you because you are worthy of our whole lives, not just some of it. You're worthy of every area of our lives. You deserve to sit in every seat in the stadium of our heart and say, mine, it's yours, Lord. And we lay down our lives before you today, Lord. God, that doesn't mean we necessarily understand how it all plays out. I don't, but I trust you with the things that I don't understand. I trust you with how I vote. I trust you with how I talk. I trust you with how I live. And sometimes I get it wrong. I thank you that your grace is so amazing that I can get it wrong and you still, you still rule. And truth is still truth. And it, and it doesn't depend on me getting it right. Lord, I want so much more for us than to be happy about an election, to be happy about a policy change, as important as those things are. I want us to recognize that we live in a world where evil is so camouflaged that it looks like an hors d'oeuvre with dog food on it, and we can't see the dog food. That means we need eyes to see, and we need a filter through which to see, and that filter is your word, and we have to begin to believe at a level that we've never believed before, that it is so true and so essential to life that we immerse ourselves in it and not just set it on the coffee table and not just set it on the nightstand, that we engage you through your word. You give us the spirit who is the teacher. You give us the words that for most of history they've not even had on paper. You give it to us on paper. We even have Jesus' words in red. Lord, I don't know what else we can ask for. You've given us everything we need. Lord, I still don't open it like I need to. I still don't engage you like I should. I'm confessing that. Lord, as we confess that, Lord, I thank you that when we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I thank you that that's true every single time. Lord, may we not be satisfied with just being forgiven. May we realize that you forgive us to free us to serve you, to serve our neighbor, to serve our coworker, to serve our family and friends and the strangers and, yes, even our enemies, sacrificially in the face of wolves disguised as sheep. Lord, help us to realize that 
playing church isn't what it's about. It's not about a religion. It's not about uh, this brand church or that brand church. It's not about micro church or mega church. It's about your people looking to you and you alone for the answers that we need and the decisions we need to make. And when we, make, when we feel you move in our lives, as unpopular as that may feel, may we have the courage to step out into that, even if we later feel, realize we were wrong. Lord, I know you'd rather us be faithful and wrong than to be scared and unwilling to act. And so, Lord, I thank you that you give us the freedom to mess up and you love us no less. And when we succeed, you love us no more because you love us as infinitely as, as infinity can be. But, Lord, I pray you'd give us courage to live in this time and day where there are so many that oppose us, that work against us, that want to see us defeated and have us in the crosshairs. Lord, help us to remember that to live is Christ, to die is gain instead of to be afraid of dying. Lord, if we're afraid of dying, Lord, convict us that we're on the broad road because to believe that the best is yet to come through Christ and eternity is to be on the narrow road. It doesn't mean we're never scared, but it means that when we are scared, we turn to you in love and emboldened by your, by your presence are encouraged, and the word encourage is there, to stay the course and to continue down that difficult but narrow road, encouraging one another along the way, filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered and and guided by the Word of God. May we not settle for anything less. May we not settle for anything less. God, I know know you want this for us. I know that there are many here who want this for us. And my prayer is that you would help us rise up. Rise up in a good way humbling ourselves before you. Maybe it's rise up by being down on our knees. Maybe that's the picture. I know it's the the posture. And I just pray you'll guide and direct us through that as we do that. Lord, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we are remembering the cross. And that is where Jesus spoke what was true, even though it wasn't popular, even though the governments were railed against him and ultimately crucified him. Even his own religious leaders crucified him. They're the ones who led the charge because they were false prophets. That's how dangerous they are. And Jesus knows the teeth of the the wolf. He shows us the scars. And Lord, I pray that I would have the courage to walk in those footsteps as terrifying as they are because I know you'll be with me and when you're with me, I don't have to be afraid. In Christ's name. Isaiah 52, I'm sorry, Isaiah 53, verse 6. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. What does that mean we deserve, right? And the Lord has laid on him, this is a messianic psalm, so this is referring to Jesus. And the Lord God has laid on him, Jesus, the Messiah, the iniquity of us all. Iniquity is a fancy word for saying the sins that we have committed with our minds, with our tongues, and with our hands, our lives. And though we deserve 
death and hell, he gives us freedom and forgiveness. I won't follow that God. I want to follow him. And you do too. You just have to have the courage to say, yes, I will walk down this road. And it is going to take courage. And God can give you every bit of courage because he gives you the faith to believe. That means he's with you. And the Bible says 365 times a day, do not be afraid. And then why is the answer? What's the answer? For I am with you. And he is with you right now. Act on that courage. Get off that road. Make the right choice. That's what the whole rest of the Sermon on the Mount is about. It's making the right choice. Let's pray. God, as we close this part and worship you through song, I pray, God, that you would speak to us and give us the courage to respond as you lead. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'll stand. And the musicians, go ahead and make your way up. Those who are serving at the tables. You don't have to be a member of this church to come and celebrate the Lord's Supper. Here's what we ask of you. We ask that you be a follower of Christ, and if you just decided that, then that's good enough. I love it. That's awesome. We ask that you, have sh- that you are in good standing with the Lord, which means you have no unconfessed sin in your heart. It means that there's no one on your forgive list that you haven't forgiven. Did you hear that? There's no one on your to-forgive list that you haven't forgiven. Don't come to the Lord's Supper until you've forgiven them. That's not me. That's, that's the Lord talking, okay? And then humbly come and celebrate soberly and joyfully in the freedom we have in Christ.